could open it with me to the book of Romans. We'll continue on in our study in the book of Romans here this morning. I'm going to go to my settings and turn off my messages so you cannot text me during the service because people get really funny in this church. I say, oh yeah, I left this on and all of a sudden I'm looking out and you're texting me. <laughs> oh gosh, okay, all right. <laughs> Just one of those things. Um, but in Romans chapter 12, we're going to pick it up uh, this morning in uh, verses uh, 9 through 13 here. And it's in our series, Made Right. And I tell you, every, every Sunday that we're in the book of Romans, you know, we, we title it the series, Made Right, for one reason, one reason only. It's because of the fact that I can't make myself right with God, nor can you. It's God has provided the ability for us to be made right with him. You know, religion is man's attempt to reach God, right? Christianity is God's desire to reach man through sending his son into this world to die on the cross for our sins. And so it's a gift that you can do two things with. You know, we think about that at Christmas time, right? What can you do with a gift? You can accept it or you can what? Or you can reject it. Yeah, those are the options that we have. And then for those that are in the middle that say, well, I'm just waiting. Well, waiting is not a good thing to do. That's like rejecting the gift. And so, again, our hope and our prayer today as we get into the word and before you would leave today that your heart would be right with God and, and you would receive the gift that came that first Christmas morn when Jesus was born into this world to save us from our sins and to be with us as the scriptures declare, Emmanuel, that God is with us. Amen. And so let's read, uh, I'm going to read from the NLT translation. You read from whatever translation you have this morning. We'll read Romans 12 verses 9 through 13 and then we'll pray and we'll get into this it says in verse 9 it says don't just pretend to love others but really love them hate what is wrong hold tightly to what is good love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other never be lazy but work hard and serve the lord enthusiastically rejoice in our confident hope be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we look forward to uh, studying it this morning. And I can't think of a better time of the year when we think about the gift of hospitality, Lord. To open up our hearts to you. Think about that first Christmas when Jesus was born into this world and it says that there was no room in the end people weren't willing to show hospitality and to think that oh if they could get that day back to think that we could have had the savior in our home and so Lord we have this knowledge from your word that God we can open our hearts we can open our homes to you and Lord we do that today and Lord we pray that God you would teach us that you would instruct us Lord, that you would encourage us and you would exhort us, that God, you'd give us all that we have need. Because Lord, we know that it's out of the abundance as you work in our lives, that overflow touches the lives of those that are around us. And Lord, if, if there's anything we all recognize today, those that are here in church, is God, there's, there's a hurting world around us. There's a world that desperately needs you. We see things just it's like the, the wheels have come off the cart, so to speak, and things are just spinning out of control. But Lord, thank you that you're a rock. Thank you that you're solid ground, and Lord, that you're immovable, and you're unshakable. 
And God, thank you that you're our refuge. Thank you that you're our strength. Thank you that, Lord, as we'll study today, that, God, you provide everything that we have need to live a godly life in this world. That, Lord, we don't have to do it on our own. We, we really, in the truest sense, Lord, we can't. God, we need you. And I pray that for every heart here today, we recognize afresh this morning our need for you. And the fact that not only do we need you, but, God, that you satisfy Lord, that you meet the needs of your people and you invite us, just as we're doing now, is to pray to you, Lord, to pour our hearts out to you, to pray, not my will, but Lord, but yours be done. Trusting and believing, Lord, that you have our best in mind always. And so, Lord, glorify your name in all the earth today. Thank you for just a sweet time of worship and singing. Thank you for the opportunity to give you through our tithes, and our offerings. And so, Lord, now we just give you our hearts and our minds, Lord, as Paul exhorts us to do here in Romans 12, to give our bodies to you as a living sacrifice, not being squeezed into this world's mold, but, Lord, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we ask you by your Holy Spirit, Lord, change our mind, Lord, that it would change our lives, that we would leave here today a different people than how even we came in. Lord, that really is our hope. In our prayer to bring glory to your name. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You know, in Romans 12, you know, as I shared with you, you know, different points along the way here, we're in this, the last section. If you've been studying the book of Romans uh, with us, and I shared with you, if you could kind of break this down into four simple sections when you study the book of Romans, you know, that chapters one through three deal with the wrath of God and chapters four through, through eight deal with the grace of God and chapters nine you know, through 11 deal with the plan of God. And then, then there's this real practical section, you know, chapters you know, 12 through 16 that deals with the will of God. And if you're like me, I mean, you, 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 you wonder at times, so God, what is your will for my life? Can we actually know the will of God? Is it abstract or is it specific? And one of the things that I want you to know, we're only going to cover a few of these verses here this morning, but from verses 9 through 21, Paul just kind of in rapid fire succession here, he's going to lay out like 30 commands or 30 exhortations about what God's will is for our life. And again, it's not something, when you look at it, you know, in context, one of the things that's really beautiful about this, you know, Paul spent 11 chapters, right, previously, because we know this from, from chapter 12. He says, you know, that word, therefore, you know, in light of the mercies of God. So Romans, you know, 1 through 11 are really laying out how merciful God is to us. Because we've all studied this, right? I, I walk you through this almost every week in the study in Romans to, to drive this into our hearts more and more. You know, that the wages of sin is death, right? And, and we've all sinned, you know, that all have sinned, Paul writes, and, and fallen short of the glory of God. So we get it. We go, I deserve to die. That's, that's the wage. That's what I deserve. But God, who's rich in his love and his mercy towards me, towards you, that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. Yeah, that he came into this world, lived a perfect sinless life and went to the cross and he died in my place. I mean, it's just the amazing mercy of God that really in the truest sense, and, you, and, and I know that you think a lot like I do in this because I get to talk with many of you and it, it just baffles our mind that the God of creation, the God of heaven would be mindful of me and that he would love me in spite of all that I've done, all the, all the terrible things in my life, the sin, the, the evil, and, and, and that God would go, but I love you. And I've loved you with an everlasting love. And with kindness, I've drawn you. 
is that I'd go, man, if, you know, because I get this, you know, we, we share this all the time, you know, do it to me what? What? Shame on what? You. Do it to me twice, what? Shame on me. And so we just don't tend to give people, you know, much more opportunity. I mean, you can, you can get away with it a couple of times maybe, you know, and Jesus is going, you know, as Peter says, well, how many times should we forgive people, Lord? And it's like, Three times three, should we be, you know, nine times? You know, I mean, we'd be more than the, than the Pharisees. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And it's just a number, but, you know, 70 times seven, you go, wait, that's 490 times for the same offense in, in one day? You go, nah. And you go, but that's the, that's the extravagant love that Paul talks about. And then when you remember when he got to chapter eight and he's going, you know, man, there's now therefore no condemnation, right, for them that are in Christ Jesus. And... He ends the chapter in Romans, you know, chapter eight, and he says, and, and nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. It's a book that when you just really take it all in, it just kind of, it just blows you away. You know, that here's God going, I, I want you to, to, to understand these things. But with that then, then Paul says, because of all that, because God's so good, because God's so merciful, do we have any responsibility at all? And Paul's saying, yes. Yeah, we have a responsibility. He goes, our responsibility should be what? He says, our reasonable act of worship would be to do what? Is to give ourselves to God, right? Is to live for him and say, God, you know, my life's not my own any longer. Because of what you've done for me. See, he says, in, in, in the Greek language, it's the logical thing to do. It's just logical, you know, when you get it, when you, and that's how we know. If you get it, the logical thing you're going to want to do is give yourself to God. You know, you think about in the, the act of marriage, and we're called the bride of Christ. You know, it's different, but he uses marriage as, as an analogy. That when you love someone, what do you want to do? You want to give yourself to that person. And, and that's what happens in our relationship with God. That's how you know, you know, in, in Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Because understand this, as we talk about spiritual gifts, you can fake the spiritual gifts. I mean... I, I watched, you know, a lot of Christian movies. You know, one of one of my favorite, you know, has stars, you know, one actor that I mean, I, I'm watching him and I'm just going, man, this guy's not even a Christian, but he plays portrays C.S. Lewis, and I'm going, and he's quoting all the scripture and everything else, and he goes, and I'd go, man, this guy would be an awesome <laughs> pastor because this guy is articulate, he's charismatic, but he's not even a believer. Right? And you go, you can fake the gift, but you can't fake the fruit of the gift. And so this is what Paul is going to begin to bring out in our life is so that, you know, here's what we should do in light of the fact that Jesus has, has gone to the cross and he's died for me and he's died for you. The, the logical thing in your life and my life would be to give ourselves completely to God and then to discover who we are in him. And so as we, we talked about last week, spiritual gifts that God has gifted every single believer and that you and I would take time and we would learn what those gifts are because they're not for us in the truest sense for the, they're the benefit of other people. Again, that my life isn't my own. It's not just that we go through the motions, but that we understand that God created you with purpose, that you have a purpose in this life, in this world. And, and then to begin to exercise that purpose. But then he talks about then where he gets into this week is then as you exercise your gifts. And he did the same thing in, in, in 1 Corinthians. If you think about this for a second. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we read those verses last week, right? He lays out a, a large number of different gifts of the Spirit of God. And then what, what happens in chapter 13? What is 1 Corinthians 13? Most of us know 
somewhat of what goes on in chapter 13. Do you remember what 1 Corinthians 13 is? What do we call that? The what chapter? The love chapter, yeah. Because what Paul is saying, remember, and he says in chapter 12, I'll show you a more excellent way, right? So it's not that you just have a gift, but if you don't exercise that gift in God's love, then really, is it a gift? No, it's not a gift at all in the truest sense. And so he does the same thing here in Romans chapter 12. And I love this as you study the word of God, you start to see these patterns that yes, God has gifted us. He's called us to live for him. He has a will for our life. And, and he's given us all the tools, you know, I share with you all the time, you know, that your, your life is God's gift to you, but what you do with your life is your gift to God. And so what Paul is saying is that God has gifted you and, and then we need to do something with that gift and it needs to be exercised a certain way and it needs to be exercised in love. But what we discover is, and I think you have too, can you love people in your flesh? Now, it doesn't work. I can only love them with what? The love that God bestows upon me, that God would live through us. And so again, whether he's writing to the church at Corinth, and remember when he wrote that letter to the church at Corinth, what was he doing? He was confronting their, their lack of love, their sin in their life. They were, they were Christians, they were believers, they were going to heaven, but they sure weren't living like it. And we see so much of that, you know, again, in the church today. And so it's a great exhortation, you know, for us to look at and to go, okay, you know, again, as Paul would tell the church at Corinth in chapter 11, he goes, examine yourself, you know, are you in the faith? And so as he's exhorting us here, you know, in chapter 12, like I said, there's going to be over the course of a couple of weeks, we'll look at like 30 different exhortations, 30 different commands. And so we'll take a look at, you know, some of these, you know, today, but one of the things that's interesting, and I think about this and I'm, I'm always reminded of like in the book of Job, Remember when God called the sons of, of, of God before his, his throne, it says, and, and Satan was there and Satan was there as well. And, and he asked him, he says, Hey, where, where have you been? And I shared this with you a few weeks ago. And he said, Oh, I've been on the earth, you know, walking to and fro. Basically what he's saying is I've been going to church and he basically, he can, he, he attacks God. You know, he says, God, you know, he said, Satan, he says, the only reason that Job worships you is because you, you give him stuff, take care and take away all of his stuff. And guess what? He'll cuss you to your face. And remember what he did, he allowed, you know, Satan to do that. He says, you know, you can take his stuff, but you know, but you can't touch him. And so then Job didn't sin against God. And so then Satan comes back and he goes, you know, like I shared with you, he goes, <laughs> You know, this one I do know because I have been to a lot of churches and if you touch his body, I promise you, I've seen it happen 99.9% .9 of the time. He'll cuss you to your face. And God said, okay, you know, skin for skin, but what, but you can't kill him. And it says in all these things, Job, he didn't sin, right? And so I, I look at this and I know that it's the same way for Paul. Most of the letters, we call them the Pauline epistles, right? You read the Bible and you go, what is Paul doing in his epistles? He's writing to churches, right? That's what he's doing. He, and he's, they've asked him questions. So when you're studying the Bible, you could be asking these same questions. If you were in the church day, what letter would you write to Paul? What would you ask him to answer for you? And that's what these are. And what we find is in every instance, Paul talks about the love of God. He talks about the gifts of God. And then he, he goes right into, you know, again, if you're going to love God, then it's going to involve loving people as well. It's, it's, it's again, 
And, and, and I understand where Paul would be coming from. Why would he talk about the gifts and then go right into you know, the need for us to love? And you go, because Paul planted a lot of churches. Paul addressed a lot of problems in the church. And what would you say, the, if you had to pick the number one problem that exists in the church today, what would you say that that problem is? A lack of what? Love. A lack of love. And that could be a lack of a love for God, or it could be a lack of a love for one another, or it could probably be both. And is that a very safe statement to make for, for me to make that? Yeah, it is. And you go, why? Well, what was the greatest commandment? Jesus said to love God, right? With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So the two, the, the greatest commandment, you know, it's really one commandment. It just has an implication that flows through it. So I get that. So that's going to be the struggle of the church. And so here in chapter 12, he's going, you know what? Yes, as you give your life to God, right? So let's follow the, the, the flow of chapter 12. So as a believer, we give our lives to God, right? We've given our, our lives as a living sacrifice and no longer are we being squeezed in by the world. We're not letting the world make our decisions for us. We're being transformed, right? By the renewing of our mind that we might prove out God's word to be true in our life. And then we do what? Then we discover who we are in Christ. We begin to, to step out in the gifts because we realize this is a family. This is a body here. And, you know, everybody, you know, has a role. Everybody has a responsibility. And when you're gone, you know, uh, there's something lacking. There's something missing. And if there's not, then, then you must not be part of the body because, and you are, I'm just saying that's the way we think, because every part has a role. And then God says, and for that to, to be really fulfilled in our life, the only way that it can be done where God is glorified and people are edified is if that gift is exercised in love. And so that's what he's taken us through. He did the same thing in 1 Corinthians, followed the same exact flow. Now he does the same thing here in the book of Romans. And so when he looks at this, again, he talks about love being without hypocrisy. And, you know, again, when you think about hypocrisy, you know, and we'll take a look at this as we go along, you know, a, a hypocrite was a term that was used for an actor. It's one who wears a mask. And you've seen it, you know, in the, the old, you know, uh, shows that they would have, you know, an actor might, one actor would play multiple parts. So, you know, in Paul's day, they didn't have changing rooms and be able to put on a different, so they just took a mask. So one could be laughter, one could be evil, and they would just hold it up. It was on a stick. And, and so the implication there is a hypocrite is one who hides behind a mask. And what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about Christians who are insincere. They're, they're, they're being fake. Outwardly, they're being one way, but inwardly, they're being completely different. They put on a show, as it were, outwardly, but inwardly, you know, and that's, a, it's a dangerous thing what Jesus said. He goes, but inwardly, he was speaking of the religious leaders. He said they were ravenous wolves, right? They're, they were, they were wolves in sheep's clothing per se. And so, you know, again, as Paul will address this, what he's wanting us to understand, you know, and you go, how, how would I identify, you know, what does it mean to be hypocritical? Well, just think about our own lives. You know, Jesus said, before you try to get the speck out of your brother's eye, get the log out of your own eye, you know? So, you, and you think about what happens, you know, love being insincere, you know, with regard to the church, you know, is, is the list longer of people that you love, uh, or is the list longer of people that you don't like in your own life? 
You think about that. You think about the world today, you know, that. How about people that are constantly asking you for favors? They are constantly asking you for something. I mean, do, do we love them the same as people who don't ask, you know, things from us? How about people who are critical or they're negative? Um, do you see them in the same light as you see, you know, other people? Do you love them the same? How about people, when you think about, you know, working, that they, they don't do their fair share, you know? And you go, do you, do you put people in different categories? You go, I, I think if we're all honest, go to a certain degree, we probably all do. And that's what Paul's dealing with. He's going, I'm not worried about what degree it is. He goes, let's just make sure that what we're aware of here is that God has called our love to be sincere, not insincere. Not to be phony, not to have this outward, you know, appearance, but inwardly, you know, be something completely, completely different. And, and, and it's interesting because in the church, you know, you'll, you'll have people, they go, they'll just say it, right? They go, I don't like you. And you go, man, that was kind of strong. And they go, well, I'm just being honest, you know? And you go, well, you're being honest, you know? So the, the, <laughs> I, I, I put this in my notes. I said, you know, we don't solve the problem of hypocritical love by expressing genuine hate, but just the opposite. We solve the problem of hypocritical love by learning how to show genuine love. So what we do is we go, I, God, I'm not loving them the way that I should love them. I'm loving them the way that I want to love them, but I'm not loving them the way that you would love them. And so I agree with God, right? And I go, God, you need to change my heart. But there is, there's this phoniness, even in the, in the body of Christ, they go, well, as long as I'm being honest, it's okay to be, they don't even get it. You know, it's not okay to be hypocritical. That is hip, being hypocritical, but it's not okay to be that. He's well, I was just being honest. I just say it like it is. Just said it, you know, and you go, okay. But what we should say is you go, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not loving the way that you love. And, and again, that's the call that Paul is making here. So how do we, how do we show people genuine love? So you look there, like I said, in verses one and two, and we die to ourselves, right? And we allow God to transform our mind. I like that old expression, you know, when we think about giving our lives completely to God, is dead men don't have feelings. If you've died to yourself, you, you know, you're not worried about what you think or what you feel, because that seems to be the filter that most people make their decisions through. Is how does this make me feel or what do I think? And here, like I said, dead men don't have feeling. We, we've given ourselves over completely to God. We want to think his thoughts, and that's why we're not conformed. We're not squeezed into the world, but we're being transformed by the way that we think. And so, again, in verse 9, we'll pick it up there. How does Paul begin? He says, you know, don't, don't pretend in the NLT. Don't pretend. Don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. And so he jumps right in, you know, after identifying what the gifts of God are, how to go about exercising the gifts of God. You have the gift. So what he's saying is this is how you exercise it. Don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. Some of your translations in verse nine will say, let love be without hypocrisy. And that's where we get that, you know, uh, hypocritos is where we get the, the, our English word hypocrite. And again, it just means an actor there. I like what Matthew Henry said about hypocrisy. He says to do the devil's work in God's uniform. It's really true. You know, that's fake love. And so when you look at the, the following verses there, like I said, 9 through 21, 
I mean, this is just, they look like, you know, he's just all over the map. They're unrelated topics, but, but again, they're just exhortations. Like I said, there's going to be 30 of them that we'll look at there. Just, you know, they're just kind of boom, boom, boom after one after another. And so, you know, when the apostle Paul uses that word love, let me ask you a question here this morning. What word is he using? Is he using the word phileo that we get for brotherly love? Um, is he using the word eros for sexual or erotic love? Is he using the word uh, storge uh, in the Greek language? means parental love for a child or brother and sister love. Or is, is Paul referencing agape love? What, what would you think? What's your guess? Agape. And that's what he's, that's what he's, that's what he's referencing. Agape. God's agape love. The highest ideal of love, the pure love, because that's what we've been called to love one another with. You know, and so when you look at this, you know, I'm always reminded of what Jesus you know, instructed his disciples there in John 13, 35. He says, you know, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. Now, what would love was he talking about? He wasn't talking about brotherly love. He wasn't talking about, it can include all that. It wasn't sexual love. It was God's love, a perfect love. And you go, man, I need a lot of work. I need a lot of help. And, and God provides that. And so, you know, when I look at this, there, there's really four things that, that this morning I want to take a look at with you. Um, the first is, you know, you could say this, that true love, it clings to what is good. We're going to accentuate the positive here, okay? Romans 12, 9 in the NLT, it says, Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. So I want you to think about that. You know, in exercising, you know, your gift, you want to put your gifts to work that you begin to discover. You go, how do I do it? Well, here's, here's what Paul tells us. First thing you've got to do, you've got to make a decision. Not be conformed to the world because you're going to want to go down that road is be transformed by the renewing of your mind is cling to what is good. And so he says, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, or like I said, other translations, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And so, you know, hate, that's a strong word, isn't it? You know, that Paul uses there, but he doesn't use, and so hear me on this. Paul doesn't use the word hate to describe how we should be towards people. Okay. That's not what he's saying. He says, hate what is evil. He's not telling you to hate the person in that respect. It's hate the deed. You know, if you ever come to me for marriage counseling, you know, I'll say, hey, conflict is a part of life. There's a positive way to deal with conflict. There's a negative way. The positive way is focus on the problem. The negative way is to focus on the person. Focus on the person and you'll always end up in sin. Focus on the problem and you'll always find a solution. Okay. And so Paul makes it really clear here. You know, we're to hate the sin, but what's that expression? Hate the sin and love the sinner. You know, and you can find all kinds of things. All people, oh, you know, we don't separate the two. And you go, you know, we do. God, God did that. He did that with us. I mean, think about it. The day that you gave your life to the Lord, were you free in the truest sense in your life from, from all the sin that was in your life? Or did you still continue to struggle or battle or deal with temptation and sin? And you go, yeah. And God knew that. But he loved you and he accepted you. And he knew that you'd still struggle. He knew that you would still fall into sin. When he died on the cross, he didn't just die. See, some people believe that he died for your past sin, and now you're on your own. Well, if that's the case, we're all in trouble. But he died for your past sin, your present sin, and your future sin. That's an amazing love that I can't even wrap my mind completely around. I don't think you can either. 
But that's the love that he's talking about. That's the love that he's called us to. It's not my love or your love. It's his love. And so we reject the sin in other people, but we don't reject them. So if you're going to use your gift, because what is going to happen, because you're using your gift for the benefit of other people. That's what you, we get lost in. We think sometimes the gift is for ourselves. But if you're exercising your gift, it's for the benefit of other people. And guess what? People are going to take advantage of that gift. Did people take advantage of Jesus? Yeah. Jesus said it all the time, right? He goes, I know why you're following me. He said, why, why are you guys following me? What was one of the things he told him? He said, you're following me because what? Because I feed you, right? So, so here we are, Calvary Chapel, Bakersfield. You know, we feed everybody. We have more feed things than any place I've ever known of. Are we going to get mad at people? They show up and I hear this at times. What are they doing here? Well, they came to eat. Yeah, but they don't show up to anything else. They come to eat. Well, because we're offering food. I mean, they're hungry. You know, I mean, it's just one of those things. I get where they're coming from, but you go, then why are we doing it? What is the point? Well, we're trying to trick them. You know, we want them to come for the food and then get saved. And if they don't get saved, we don't want to feed them. And you go, is that hypocritical? Yes, Absolutely. Jesus knew why they were following him. Then did he come back with a hard word? Yeah, John chapter six, right? If you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you have nothing to do with me. It says, and many turned away and walked to them no more because they didn't understand it. They thought, oh my gosh, this guy's wanting us to be a cannibal. Yuck, we don't want that. We just want the food. And Jesus didn't chase them down as people do. Oh, we got to don't say anything to or chase, get him to come back. No, told him the truth. But he loved them. And we know that because why? Because he went to the cross for them. See, it's one thing, you know, and I, I really, I had to change the title of this message. I called this love in action. Because for many of us, love is just a noun. It's just a word. And people get so tired. The world gets so tired of hearing it. You get tired of hearing it. I get tired of hearing it. I love you, Pastor Mike. And I love pizza. You know, sometimes I love pizza more. You know, I, I, I get that. <laughs> you know, and you go, okay. But we do. We, we have one word for love, right? You know, I love this. I love that. I love that. You know, but I love the word of God because it, it breaks it down. And it's very specific about what God means about that love and his love, man, a love of choice, a love of preference, a love of choosing. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. You see many people like, and I put this in my notes is it's the opposite, you know, of how the world lives. The world, they hate the sinner and they cling to the sin, right? They hold a grudge. And it's like, you know, an elephant. I mean, it's just, I mean, they'll come back and they go, yeah, I remember back in 1982. Wow, you've been holding on to that a long time. I mean, seriously, people do. And even people in the church. And you go, and that's what Paul's going, wait, if you're going to walk in love, you're going to have to do what? You got to hate what's evil, but you got to cling. You got to hold on to what is good. What did Paul tell us, you know, like I said in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, he said, love does what? It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. It believes the best, right? And you go, man, that's hard to do. <laughs> and you go, it's impossible to do unless the spirit of God is doing it in us. And that's what Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Allow God to change you from the inside out. See, the world will conform. Okay, you got to love them. You know, and you try and then you just fail. You go, but that love that comes from the inside out is what God is talking about through the Apostle Paul here.
Sometimes, you know, in life, when I put my notes here, you know, to find good, you have to dig deep. You have to dig deep. But something else that's true, too. You'll always find what you're looking for. And it, you know, again, it's that old expression, you know, what people say about you reveals more about them than it does about you. And it really is true. If you're looking for something bad, you'll probably find something bad. If you're looking for something good, you'll probably find something good. There in verse nine, where he says, you know, to hate what is wrong. You know, and what is he, what is he referencing there? It means, you know, to hate what is wrong. It means we don't just, you know, turn our head to sin, but we confront the sin. And this is where many believers go wrong because they say, ah, you know, I'm not going to say anything to them. I'm just going to love them. But if you're not confronting the sin, you're not helping them at all. What you're doing is you're just condoning the sin and they'll probably stay in it. And I, I look at that because I look at recovery ministry a lot. And you go, we have recovery ministry. And I, unfortunately, I look at a lot of people and they just stay in it. And you go, why? Well, if, if we don't, you know, as friends that they have in their life, if they're not confronting that sin and, and, and drawing a line there, you go, what we're doing is we're just enabling people. And we can say, well, I'm just loving them, but they won't understand it unless you can say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. It's sinful because God's word says this, but I want you to know I love you. And I can relate because guess what? I'm a sinner too. And, and God delivers and God saves and God helps and God heals. But just to go, oh, we're not going to say anything to them. And you look at that people, you know, and their families, and they're going, well, they're family. And, you know, we just, and you go, we're not helping. But see, that's the difference between having the truth. See, Jesus said, don't be conformed to the world's method, but be transformed. Is to go, Jesus said, the truth you'll know. If we're sharing truth, then the truth will do what? The truth's going to set them free. See, we think it's going to be our love that sets them free. It's not our love. It's God's love. The truth of who Jesus is. I mean, if, if sin wasn't serious, Jesus never would have had to die. But it's serious business. And sin needs to be dealt with seriously. What's that expression Greg Laurie would always use? You know, if you toy with sin, sin will end up toying with you. And it's really true. We need to remind people lovingly, you know, coming alongside being kind about it, you know, Scripture says. We want, what, we want God's best for them. You know, go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Why? Because I know that sin will destroy them. Sin's going to kill them. The, way, the ways of a man what? seem right in his own eyes, but it's in, brings forth death. But Romans 2.4 tells us, says, it's the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. What's the kindness of God? How is God kind to me and you? He didn't hold our sin against us, right? The, the penalty still had to be paid. Jesus died on the cross. The wages of sin is still death. And Jesus went to the cross and he died for us. And then he offers salvation as a free gift to all who would receive it. But it didn't mean that God winked at the sin. He just paid for the sin. The consequence was death. And he took my sin and your sin and bore it in himself on the cross so that we could go free. So when you think about, you know, true love, the first, the first way that we put it into action, like I said, true love clings to what is good. And so you think about that in your life as you're exercising your gifts, you know, are you clinging to what is good in other people's lives? Or, you know, and all you have to do is go to your conversations, or are you just identifying all the things that have gone wrong? And if you are, you go just recognize that that is insincere love. And so God is telling us, hey, then don't, don't keep going down that road. He's not, he's not condemning us the same way he doesn't want us to condemn other people. He's going, but hey, 
You know what? Um, don't be that way. You know, cling to what is good. You know, treat other people what the way you'd want to be treated when you know when life wasn't going well for you. What you know, what's your response going to be? Because number two, true love's focus is on the family. There in verse ten, true love's focus is on the family because that's what we are. Remember, we studied in the gifts. We're a what? We're a body. We're a family. That's what it's saying. We're all connected together. You know, we're we're in this together. You know, Jesus Christ is the head. All of us are are made up of the family of God. Okay. So he says in verse 10, love each other with genuine affection then and take delight in honoring each other. Romans 12, 10 in the New King James puts it like this. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and in honor, giving preference to one another. I like that. Being devoted to one another. That, that word de devoted there, it, it's a word that expressed in the context of a family. It's, it's being fully devoted you know, that, that's something that, that a family would do in the Greek language. It's, it really speaks of this tenderness, this love, this care, uh, this affection, uh, family loyalty is what the Apostle Paul is drawing out here. And he does that out of our giftedness because as God gifts us, he knits us together. He calls us, you know, in his family, you know, and, and to serve. And then how do we serve? And we do it, you know, he's talking about with tenderness. We do it with care. We do it with affection. We do it with loyalty. I love, you know, uh, you know, we had our Thanksgiving celebration yesterday with all of our kids. And it was so fun because all of our grandkids are there. And we've got, you know, eight grandkids now. And, and uh, I love to watch how they interact with each other. And, and they're making noise and stuff. But they, they genuinely, they have a family affection that's different for one another than it is for other people. You know, they come in and then the way they, they'll hug each other. And so we were talking last night about, you know, having a, a sleeping over at our daughter's house in a couple of weeks. Her as a family member, it's got a birthday. And so um, we'll be heading up north and going to that. And so we'll be staying at our daughter Bree's house. And so the kids were all talking about, well, so where are we going to sleep? And I'm like, do you guys want, you want to sleep with Opa? No. And they go, can I sleep with Charlie? You know, and then they're all, they're all, okay, what bed are you guys going to sleep in? And I'm like, we're having a slumber party. We're just all going to sleep in one bed. There's like, but they love the idea of like with their cousins and stuff, like, oh, you know, the ones that are all their age, this, this, and it was just a, a really cute, just this innocent, genuine affection and devotion for one another that they love being together as family. And, and can they fight like cats and dogs? Yes. You know, you watch one wants a toy and the other's got it. They clock them. You know, they do all the things that happen in every other aspect of life. But man, there's something about being family that this, you know, again, and what Paul is really driving to, you know, there is, it's like this. I have two sisters and a brother. I can tease my brother in front of you guys. I can tell you funny stories, make fun of my brother, you know, and everything else. And you can laugh and stuff. But if you say something about my brother, those are fighting words, right? It's just funny how that is. It's like, I can, I can say something because he's my brother and I know my love for my brother, but I don't know your love necessarily. So when you cross that line, you know, it's like you might get checked on it. And that's, and that's something that God's going, that's how it should be in the body of Christ is that we should have this affection, this love, this tenderness, this loyalty, you know, for one another. So when someone steps in and starts saying something, hey, that's my brother. You know, talking about my brother, you're talking about my family. You want to get punched in the face? Hey, well, that's not very loving, you know. You go, I think you understand the point, you know. 
We just, there's a line that, you know, we don't cross there. And that's really what Paul, you know, is talking about. You know, what do we do, you know, with family? You know, it's like when they're, you know, if there's anything to prefer them over. I know when, like when my, my mom passed away, my dad had already passed away. So my mom, uh, when she passed away, that would meant everything now that was my mom and dad's, you know, their estate was going to be handed off to the kids. And then if you've ever had to deal with a situation like this where, someone's died and mom and dad have died and they left, you know, stuff to the kids. Have you ever heard stories about how divided the family came and everybody started fighting over everything? I mean, ultimately, even do they end up in court, they sue each other. And these are just family members. And, you know, and it's so sad, you know, what, what can happen in moments like that. And I just remember <laughs> as, as a pastor having to sit down with people and walk through some of these things and they're, they're difficult, the stuff that you hear and you just go, wow, it's nice. my heart goes out to you that, You've had to deal with that, and and it can be so unfair. But I remember when we we sat down, and my sister Beth, my oldest sister, she's uh, retired now. She was an attorney, and then my sister Susan and my younger brother Pat. So we sat down, and Beth is the executor of my parents' estate, and they have a living trust. And so Beth just starts going through how much money's in the bank, and then all the things. And they had a lot of stuff that was listed, but they have a lot of stuff you know that they owned that wasn't listed. And so my sister Beth would go, okay, well, um, you know, they've got this and they obviously didn't have four of everything, right? So somebody was going to get it and somebody wasn't going to get it. And I just remember sitting back and just watching this because in my mind, you know, I wouldn't say anything, but I've seen it unfold and I'm thinking, is this going to get ugly or is this, is it going to be smooth? And I don't know how it's going to go. But um, we all just kind of laughed. I, was, I had lunch with my sister, Susan, for her birthday. Um, took her to lunch a couple of weeks ago. We were just sitting there talking about that. And, and something came up and she said, yeah, I remember when, she goes, it's so weird. Because she had talked with a friend where the wheels came off their family. And they, nobody talks anymore or anything else. And she goes, how long did it take us to, to go through all that stuff? And I go, I don't know, not very long. And she goes, it was like 30 minutes. And she goes... And there was not one, one discrepancy. Like when someone said, Hey, what about this? And someone would say, Hey, I'd really like to have that. Nobody else even said anything. And it didn't mean that the other person didn't, didn't, well, there was a couple things that, you know, my brother got that, that I would have liked, but he asked for them. And he said, Hey, I'd really like to have that. And my wife even asked, she says, well, how come he didn't say anything? I go, Cause he said that he wanted it. And I go, if he wanted it, I go, I would just prefer him to have it. And it's just how it is. And, and I think about those things because it's, it's so important because like I said, I, I, as a pastor, I have the privilege of sitting with people and I hear the hurts and the heartaches and praying with people over, over these terrible things that happen. And so I'm, I'm encouraged when I see something in scripture where I understand it and I'm going, this is why Paul is saying that, that men are focused. You know, if you're, when you exercise your gift, it isn't to do anything in the, per se for you, but it's for the benefit of other people. You know, it's to cling to, to what is good and then make your focus on them. How can I prefer them in my life? And, you know, again, so you see that in verse 10, he says, delight in honoring or giving preference to one another. And, you know, I, I saw that yesterday with my wife, you know, again, preferring other people, right? I mean, many women do this at Thanksgiving. My wife is just going around. She's cooking everything. She's baking everything. She's setting the table. She's doing this and, and. And then everybody gets there, you know, we pray and everybody eats and my wife is going last. She's making sure that everybody else is taken care of. 
And, and it's just one of those things you appreciate. You just watch it, you know, and you go. And that, that's just a, a heart that God gives us when we come to him. And we're being transformed. We're being changed. You know, it's not, how many, they didn't say thank you. It's not why you do it, you know. What did I get out of it? It's like what I got was the satisfaction of being able to do it for you. And, you know, and I'm, up, I'm putting Christmas lights up. And if you know me and Christmas lights, we, we are not friends, okay? So I'm up yesterday, and guess what? I got them up, and they don't work. The whole thing. My neighbor comes out and goes, Mike, if you know my stories on lights, I took hours putting them up. They are all, I said, they're like, they're like soldiers standing in attention. Every light is perfectly straight. Got done. It didn't work. And I'm there. And I don't know, to be honest with you, if I'm going to cuss or if I'm going to cry. Okay? Because I'm just like. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the Lord just, you know, visits me. It's like, what if this was the last time you could put Christmas lights up? And I was like, then I'd have great joy. And I would. And my neighbor came over and he just moved in and super nice guy, retired farmer. And we were talking about that. And I said, yeah, I go, you know, I was going to get frustrated. I was just confessing to him. And I said, but I realized, you know, there's going to come a day where I can't do this. And he goes, yep, partner. He goes, because I'm there. You know, he goes, I just paid a guy to put mine up. And I go, yep. I said, you know, that day will come. And I said, so I just thank the Lord, even though they're not working, even though nothing's right with them. But really to have that, and there was a joy. And I go, Lord, thank you that I could still put the lights up. Because I know there's coming a day when I can't do it. And, and it's just having, letting God work that Because I can tell you, that's not, that would not be normal. I would have done what I did the first year. I just yanked them down and I just been frustrated, you know, with it. But God will do that as we continue to give our hearts completely over to him. The third thing you look at, true love, understand this. It's not a noun. It's not just a word. It's a verb. Look there in verses 11 and 12. It says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. In the New King James Version, it says the same verse. It says, not lagging and diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And so you look at that, you know, love, true love is expressed through action. So what is, there's six things you can pull from just those two verses there. Don't be lazy, work hard, don't quit, serve Jesus, rejoice in hope, be patient and keep on praying. You know, I mean, it doesn't need a, a whole lot to say to that, you know, work hard. You know, it, would you agree that uh, loving people can be hard work? Yeah. And work hard. That's what he's telling us. And not just, you know, like I said, you think of the divorce rate, and not just in the, in the world, but look at it in the church. You know, work hard. How about this? You know, don't quit. <laughs> Serve the Lord and do it enthusiastically. You know, some translations say fervent in spirit. You know, there's a debate amongst Bible scholars, you know, if Paul is, is referring here to the human spirit or to the Holy Spirit, and I believe the answer is yes. I mean, I think he's speaking to both. Our energy comes from God either way. But remember that, that word enthusiasm is what? The word, two English words, in God. So again, the most enthusiastic people should be believers, followers of God. Those that are in God should be the most enthusiastic. And so be enthusiastic, you know, in our doing good for other people. I like what one author said. He said, it's easier to cool down a fanatic than it is to warm up a corpse. And it's really true. 
You know, we need to get fanatical, you know, in our love. How about true love expresses itself through serving Jesus? You think of that, serve the Lord, do it, like I said, enthusiastically. Colossians 3.23 says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Hebrews 12.2 says, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, who's what? The author, the perfecter of our faith. Then the fourth thing, true love expresses itself by what? Rejoicing in hope. Rejoice in our confident hope. You know, when we're walking in the spirit, we don't quit. We don't give up. So we need to be praying, God, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Hebrews 11.1 1 reminds us of that, the definition of faith in the Bible. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. See, because hope does what? It provides joy, genuine joy. And it gives us the strength and the determination to continue on. And that's why you know, we see words like Galatians 6, 9, then that can remind us, don't grow weary in doing good for what? For in due time, you shall reap if you, what? If you don't faint and you don't lose heart. The fifth thing that we saw there, true love expresses itself through patience, being patient, being patient in trouble. See, it's not hypocritical to express patience, even when we don't feel patient, okay? That's an expression of love. That's what James 1, 2 through 4 says. It says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that your faith is tested. Your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. The sixth thing, that, and it just keeps leading. Everything's, you know, action is moving us forward, right? True love expresses itself as we keep on praying. You know, some of your translations will say continuing steadfastly in prayer. What does 1 Thessalonians remind us? Never stop praying. You know, Ephesians chapter 6 says, you know, when you've done all the stand, do what? Stand some more, right? And what is that talking about? It's putting on the armor of God. And then ultimately, you know, he says there in Ephesians 6, 18, then praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Yeah, being led Led by God in the way that we would pray. You know, I don't know about you, but I know about me. The only way that I found that I can love people sincerely is to be praying constantly. I mean, it's the only possible way. True love is always expressed through action. And then the last one I'll leave you with here today. True love gives. You know, Jesus said, no greater love than any man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Verse 13 says there in Romans 12, it says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them, always eager to practice hospitality. In the New King James, again, it says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So distribution means about collecting. It's kind of like our ministry, TWC. We collect the food that comes from you guys, right? And from other sources, we collect that food and that's, and then we do what with it? We demonstrate hospitality with it. Hospitality is an interesting word. You know, and as, as we wrap this up, I, I want you to think about it, you know, for a second, because don't, don't confuse hospitality with entertainment. You know, there's a lot of entertainment in the church today, probably too much, but hospitality, always think of the word hospital. When you, when you are exercising hospitality, you're not entertaining people. See, a lot of people like to have people over to their house 
Um, they'll go, oh, you know, we have a really nice house and we put all this effort into our house and we bring people over to entertain them in our home. And that can be, you know, my table setting. It can be the way my house looks or anything else because it's all about the thing, right? But a hospital, I mean, what is a hospital? A hospital's focus is on the, on the person that's in need. So when our distributing, so our giving, so you think about this. So when we're giving, we're giving not for ourselves, we're giving because there's someone else that's in need. And so we want to be, I want to be hospitable. I want, and we want, you know, for our lives and for our church, for our homes to be a hospital per se, is that where people could come and they could be cared for because what? They're in need. They might be injured. They, they might be frustrated. They could be in sin, whatever the thing is. When you show up at a hospital, do they do an interview process with you to figure out, you know, did you do something stupid? You know, well, oftentimes it's starting to come to that, right? You know, but it didn't used to be that way. When it's in love, as you go, this is a hospital. And you, you address that. And then in the, in the process, like, oh, see, we're back to just loving people. And you go, well, no, we, we do. We love them. And we serve to meet that need. And then we speak into, you know, what brought you here? I mean, please still do show up at hospitals and arrest people. I mean, I've visited many people in the hospital that were handcuffed to the bed. <laughs> you go, it doesn't take away the responsibility to the act, but it didn't take away the care that they were provided. And it's, it's just a great reminder, you know, today, as you think about these things, you know, we, especially Romans chapter 12, you know, and you go, and I have to do it myself, you know, and I leave you with this and invite the worship team, those guys, they can come on out and we'll, we'll close with prayer, we'll close with a song. But to think about this, you know, this is love in action. You know, Paul said, okay, in light of everything, in light of the mercies of God and everything he's done to you, you know, this is how we should live our lives. We should discover who we are in Christ, discover our gifts and begin to let those gifts flow, but to exercise those gifts in love. And then you start looking at all the ways that, that love is personified or love is put into practice or love is demonstrated in action. And so if you look at that today and you go, man, I don't, I'm not really loving like that. You know, again, there's no condemnation. Remember, go back to Romans chapter eight, but to take, you know, a good look within today and go, God, I'm not loving people the way that you want me to love people. You go, I can either be being, you know, loving in one sense that I feel like I'm being really kind to them, but I'm just being soft and I'm not being truthful. I'm, I'm being the hypocrite by not confronting their sin or I'm not loving them because I see the sin. So it can, the hypocrite can be either way. And that it, it starts going all the way back to verse one is that today you go, if I'm not, if I'm not doing it the way God that you want, then I probably, there's an area in my life where I need to die to myself. Maybe for some people it's dying to themselves completely and coming to Christ and being saved from their sin. And then for the rest of us, it's just going, God, I need to be reminded today. I, you know, I, I'm to live as a, as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to you, that it's not about me any longer. It's about you. And what is it that you desire for me? And then just to begin to walk back through this chapter and just watch what God does in and through your heart and then in and through your life. And that's what he desires to do. And that's what Paul will set out to do. And so we'll stay with this for next you know, week or so. So we look at these, like I said, there's 30 of them that are listed there in uh, chapter 12. Just great reminders, you know, of how love is put into action. And I uh, I think of all the things the world needs today, it needs a little bit more of God's love. Amen.
Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you for this church and this congregation. I pray that, Lord, today, that we would just allow you to examine our own hearts and our lives. And, and Lord, those areas where, God, we're just not in step with you. Like I said, it has nothing to do with being saved. If, if, if we're in Christ today and we've accepted the fact that we're sinners and you're our Savior and we've asked you to come into our life to be our Lord, to be our God, to be our King, God, we're saved. We're, we're headed for heaven. But Lord, you, you want to do a work in us today that prepares us, Lord, and Lord, enables us to be used of you in a way that brings glory to your name and, and really magnifies your goodness in all the earth. And so, Lord, we recognize you've given us gifts. You've placed a calling upon our lives. And the only thing that really gets in the way of that is me. It's us. And so, Lord, today, help us. Help us to, to see ourselves through your eyes. To no longer, Lord, be conformed to this world, but continuing to be transformed, to agree with you. And then when we see we're, we're off, that, Lord, we repent. It's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing to say, God, forgive me. I'm not, I'm not in step with you in this area of my life. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. Fill me with your spirit. Fill that area of my life that, God, I might better magnify you. Because, Lord, I want the world, as you said, that all men will know my, you're my disciples because you have love one for another. And so, Lord, have your way in this church this week, throughout this Christmas season. Help us to take advantage of the opportunities to show hospitality, to invite perfect strangers in, into our home, that we just meet to care for them, to reveal the love of Christ so that, Lord, the world can see it, not just hear it. We don't want to just be people that talk about love, but, Lord, we want to be people who walk in it. And so fill us, anoint us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.